So tonight, I'm just gonna share with my. I mean, I didn't go to SNU, but you guys are my insane life hoopers. You know, you know what that is, right? <laughs> so, like the under younger people. Anyways, I just want to share uh, from this passage, uh, John chapter four, and I'm gonna read this story first, and then we're gonna get a little deeper into it. And I just want to tell you that this story might be confusing at first, but you can understand it. I will hope you understand. So let's turn to John chapter four. It's in the New Testament. And then we're going to be reading a, a, a large chunk of the scripture. Okay. Uh, starting from verse one, I'll be reading. You guys could just listen to me or just follow along uh, on your Bibles. Okay. Uh, chapter four, verse one. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's uh, well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Verse 7. Uh, there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Uh, the Samaritan woman said to him, How is that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, and did he ended his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to him, or her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of this water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of living spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands and the one now, the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Uh, I'm going to skip to verse 28 because of time, okay? And they have a holy conversation about worship, okay? And then we're jumping to verse 27, okay? Uh, Right before our verse 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So he reveals that I am Jesus Christ, okay? And verse 27, just then his disciples came back. Uh, They marveled that he was talking with the woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So that woman left the water jar and went away into town and said to the people, 29, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. And I'm going to cut it right there. Okay. This is a story of Jesus going through an area called Samaria and then visiting a city called Sychar, right? And you guys, let's walk through the story again. I'm going to make it easier for you. So I prepared a map, but there's no screen. So I'm going to try to describe. Okay, so they are in the south right now, and they have to go back to Jesus' hood, which is the north, okay? And then in between, there's Judea in the south, okay? And then there's Galilee on north. And then right in between, sandwiched, is an area called Samaria, right? So they 
And Jesus says, did you catch in verse 4, Jesus said, we have to pass through Samaria. That's what Jesus says, okay? But he actually didn't have to. So the truth is, a lot of Jews, Jewish people, because of their hatred towards Samaritans, because there was a despising, they had, they hated each other, simply put, they would choose not to go through Samaria. And they would rather go across the river to the east, go through an area called Perea, and then cross the river again, and back to uh, Galilee. So that's like a crazy detour. But then they chose to do that because they hated Samaritans and they chose not to walk through it. But then Jesus here says, Hey, we have to walk through Samaria. And we know that, oh, that's not true. But Jesus probably has a reason why he's choosing to go through it, right? You guys want to know why? Yeah, let's keep reading. He probably had a mission. I have to go through it. And let's find out why. And then they are at a town called Sychar, where Jacob's well was. So th- Jacob is this person in the Bible. Uh, and then there's no story of him actually like digging this well and giving it to them. But this is just referred to in this account. Okay. So there was Jacob's well. And then Jesus was tired from the journey because they were walking through the wilderness. Right. And then they sat, be- he sat beside the well. And then all the disciples was traveling with him. They're like, okay, we're going to go into the town. We're going to buy some food. We'll be back, Jesus. Okay. So he's sitting by the well, and everyone else went to buy food. The city, anyway, you got to kind of imagine this city side car, okay? So how many of you have seen a well before? Well. Actually saw it before. Yeah, you guys have? In Korea, there are wells. But then if you know anything about well, it's trying to dig deeper uh, into the ground so that the water that is underneath the ground, you can try to draw from that, right? So the source is coming from underground. So would you try to dig a well on top of a mountain or at a lower uh, altitude? Which one is smarter? Yeah, you want to go to the mountain? No, right? You probably want to come down the mountain and as low as you can get and then start digging, right? So you will find all the wells at a low altitude places. But then if you know anything about like the cities these like uh, back then, because of the security reasons, all these towns were kind of on a hillside, right? So they will build towns on the mountain so that like the enemies come and they will not be able to reach them so quickly or easily. So the towns were kind of on the mountain and these wells were like in the middle of wilderness, which is like a lower ground, right? So... He's sitting by a well and surrounded by nothing. It's probably just the well and then the town is kind of far away. So in this account, this town and this Jacob's well, it actually exists, guys. It still is there. It's about half a mile away from the town where people are. So half a mile, that's like 800 meters. That's about like 30 minute walk round trip. So the disciples are like, oh, we'll be back in like 40 minutes. And they walked away and Jesus got that time to himself. You guys are with me, right? So he's sitting, oh, so tired, himdra from the journey. And then here comes a woman, okay? But then the Bible says it was the what, what hour was it? Third hour? Sixth hour. Okay, sixth hour, what is that? It's not 6 p.m., guys. Sixth hour, according to the Bible, it, this is like a Hebrew saying. It's actually, for us, noon. It's lunchtime, okay? Oh, makes sense. That's why disciples went out to buy food. It's lunchtime. It's noon. And if you know anything about noon, noon, where's the sun? Right above you, right? The sun is blazing. And where are we talking about? This is uh, the climate we're talking about is Middle Eastern. Anybody from Mid- Middle East? <laughs> Nobody, right? But it's like hot. Okay? The sun is like blazing and you really don't want to be there at noon out in the desert. Okay? If you, if you, do you want to? Nobody does that. So... 
This is a strange scene. So for us to read, a Samaritan woman came out to draw water. Yes, of course. And then, but if you know the context, if you are from this area or something, she's crazy. You know, <laughs> what is she doing there at noon? You know, so the context is that the women were in charge of drawing water. I don't know why. Maybe men were lazy. Okay. But, so, but then women were in charge of the drawing the food, uh, not drawing the water, and they will always do it early in the morning before sun rises or after sun sets. So, you know, uh, when it's cooling down, they will go draw water in groups. Okay. And I'll explain why in groups, but catch this. This Samaritan woman came alone by herself, right? And to us, it's like, oh, she came by herself. But then if you know the context, we were like, she came alone? She crazy again, you know? The reason is this well was really deep. And this is about 140 feet deep. That's really deep, right? 42 meters deep, okay? I'm less than two meters, okay? <laughs> Not a good uh, yeah, presentation of it. But anyway, it's really, really, really deep well. And then the rope that you have to carry with you, because it's not there. You have to carry your own rope. No matter how thin it is, you guys know how heavy ropes are? Oh my gosh. So the rope that they have to carry is like 45 meters long, which is like 150 feet long, okay? So that heavy mountain of rope, and then what do you need? Bucket, right? You need a bucket to draw it with. And what do you need? You need water jars right because you you gotta put it in there and then drag it home right and then it's like 30 minute walk and so the mountain of rope and then the jugs and the bucket so she's not just walking in nonchalantly she's like <sighs> all these heavy stuff and she's choosing to come alone at noon it's like mad hot who does that you know you can tell oh she has a story you know she's not doing this as a hobby I hope not, or she's not into like sweating it out or like exercising. No, this is, she has a story. Definitely has something behind it, right? So you guys catch that something's off about this, right? She came alone at noon and she probably, this is probably a story. They don't want anybody to see her. I don't know if you guys ever done this before, but when you don't want others to run into you, or when you don't want to see anybody, you just choose to go to a place at a time that nobody is there. You know, so she's probably choosing not to be seen by anybody. Probably was an outcast, probably was a loner, a wangta, or just avoiding people or hated by the town people or something of the sort, right? So we'll find out more about this woman. But Jesus here, sitting at the well, sees the woman and strikes up a conversation with her, right? He goes, give me a drink. Give me a cup of water. And Samaritan woman's like, what just happened? This, this Jewish guy is talking to me, okay? If you're a Samaritan woman, you never talk to a Jewish man, period. For your entire life, you probably would have zero opportunity to talk to a Jewish man. But this Jewish guy is like, hey, give me a cup of water. And she's like, who? Why are you talking to me? Aren't you Jewish? Probably thinking, he's really dehydrated. Crazy. Again, right? So, uh, why are you talking to me? Swear to me, was all confused, okay? But you, we know that. We know, because we've been reading this, Jesus probably set this all up. He knew this woman was coming at noon. He knew that if I'm sitting here and my disciples are gone to buy food, I'm going to run into this lady. I'm going to talk to her. So we know that this woman is the very reason why Jesus decided to pass through Samaria. Okay? So from her perspective, though, he's like, she's, she's kind of like, am I supposed to talk to him? Am I supposed to give him a drink? So he, she's all confused right now. Okay? Um, Jesus goes, hey, by the way, though, 
He sounds mad cocky. Okay, bear with me. I'm gonna try to act like Jesus here. Okay, woman, if you knew who you were talking to, you would actually ask me for a cup of water. <laughs> you know, something like that, right? He sounds really, really cocky, and I really don't like it. But he's saying, "Hey, if you knew who I was, who you were talking to, you know, I would actually give you something better. It's called living water." And she's just thinking. He he's lost it. <laughs> really thirsty. He lost it completely. Cause uh, she said you don't even have a bucket or a rope, you know. Uh, and this well is deep, by the way, sir. You know, uh, it's really deep. It's like a type of well that you like drop a coin and you don't hear it. I mean, you will, but you know, <laughs> it's like that deep. It's dark. You don't even see anything. But he's talking about he's crazy. He's talking about living water. Where do you get that, dude? Like, I came all the way here all, with all these equipment just to get a bucket of water. And you're like, living water? Out of your mind. And you're better than Jacob, who made this well? He drank from this well. What are you talking about? You know, you're better than our ancestors? So she's going all like, right? And Jesus goes, with my water, you will never be thirsty again. And she's like, ah. Oh. This dude, right? This dude. The water that I give will become a spring of living water. That's what Jesus says. Remember this wording, okay? Spring of living water, welling up to eternal life. Welling up for eternity. Okay, it's going to well up forever, is what he says. And Samaritan woman, she was all skeptical. You guys got that, right? You don't even have a rope. You know, her attitude changes. And all of a sudden she goes, she shows interest. And she's like, oh, can I get some? You know, she goes, can I get some? And she says, I really don't want to come out here to draw water. She actually says that. I'm sick and tired of drawing water here. So I don't want to come here anymore. Can I get some? All skeptical to you don't have even have anything but then now she's like can i get some she's hooked why and how and let me explain why when she heard that the key word was this the spring of living water everyone say the spring of living water not the weather spring but the water spring okay it is spring now but yeah so she was hooked at that moment. Okay, let me explain. In this kind of climate where every, you're surrounded by desert, what is most important thing for survival? Water. Any, any objection? It's water, right? If you're out in the desert, water means life. No water means death, right? You need water. And water represented life in this context of desert. And it directly, she knew no water, death, right? And Jesus is saying, hey, you are at the wrong well, okay? This water may keep you alive for a little bit, but you're going to run out tomorrow. You have to come and get it again, and then get it again, and then get it again. And it's going to give you life temporarily, but you will never be thirsty again if you get this spring of living water through me. So I'm just talking about a spiritual source of life, not just drinking water. And the Bible always has a pattern and symbolisms. And I'll explain it to you. Think with me, a well or a cistern, cistern, like a big, uh, like a 
ditch. What is that? Or, yeah, you dig, and then you try to reserve water with the reservoir. That's what you call it, right? Yeah, cistern. So these two, whenever they appear in the Bible, it's like a symbol of a human hand trying to survive or trying to be self-dependent. Because, well, think about it. How do you get water from a well? You try to guess where the water is. I mean, you know, people do with, like, two sticks and trying to, like, find a source of water. Have you guys seen that before? That's how, like, people try to guess where the water, source of water is. Anyways, it's a completely guessing game, right? And so you're trying to guess, okay, where... Probably here. Actually, it's here. And JP goes, no, it's actually there. Okay, is it there? We don't know, you know? You just gotta try digging, and then you'll find out if it's there or not. It's like an invisible river underground, and you just have to guess, right? Do you guess, and then, no, it's here. It's here. For sure it's here. Okay, and you start digging for, like, months, for years. For a well that deep, you gotta go, like, really deep. And then you're digging and digging and digging, and then you find out eight months later, it's not here. What are you gonna do? <laughs> you know, what are you gonna do? You know? And then you, oh, it's actually probably over there then. And then you start digging again. Eight months later, find out, oh, it's not here. And then let's move and let's move. And that's how you build a well. Is that a smart way? No, right? And that's like a human effort. You're relying on human sources and power to get the source of life, which is water. Cistern, let's talk about that. Why do people even create that? Because they want to reserve it so that they don't have to wait on rain. They don't have to worry about it. So they try to reserve it as much as possible. So they make it big and they coat it with like a not waterproof materials. But then the Bible talks about how you put all your effort into building a cistern. And then God, God says, uh, and then if it cracks and all your source of life leaks, you know, you put in years into building this big reservoir and good luck. At a snap of my finger, it may crack, and then all the water is going to leak out, and you don't have anything. You know? The reservoir, the cistern, you know how it connects to our human effort to provide for ourselves, to survive, you know? And it's, it, it represents, it, it, it takes a lot of labor. It's like striving. Oh, I want to make it. I want the source of life to be saved and all that stuff, right? It's a well and cistern. But then if you think about it, in contrast, a stream, a river, a spring, uh, even in the Bible, it talks about morning dew, right? And rain. These things represent God's gift of grace and his sovereign provision. Everyone, everyone said provision. Earlier we sang Jehovah Jireh, our provider, right? He, we talked, we sang about that. And what it means is these things, human beings cannot make it. Can you make a stream, river? spring of water no it, these are things that you find and these are what god provides you know it's in the mountain the river morning dew morning dew it, it it's the climate has to be a certain way the temperature difference and all that so in the bible there it talks about how david and his army survived in the desert through uh leaves and they will gather the dews on the leaf and then they will drink it it will be like half a cup isn't that crazy that's how God provided for his soldiers. That's how God provided for their survival. You know, even out in the desert, God was able to provide water for them, a source of life. Rain, obviously, right? If you are a farmer, you have to wait on the rain. Early rain, late rain, it talks about how they had to wait upon the Lord to send the rain. So these are representation of God's grace and God's provision. Are you guys with me? And another key word that, the Samaritan woman was like, oh, I want that, about was, 
welling up. Everyone say welling up. Again, well, you have to throw it, right? But this, welling up, different translation is leaping up. It's shooting forth. That's what it means. It's a water that is so active. It's like the vigorous image of water just shooting out everywhere. It's like a shower head. You know, up and then you, ah, you know, water gets everywhere, right? So that's the image that you gotta get. And so he's saying, I can give you a stream, a spring of living water that shoots up. And she's like, she's right now in front of a water that's like so deep and dark. You don't even know what's down there. You know, who knows what's dead under there. And then, you know, you know what I'm saying? He's like standing in front of like a body of dead water and that she has to like draw and draw. And he's talking about a stream of living water that's shooting forth and for eternity. It does not dry up. Which one do you like? Which one would you like guys? Obviously, right? Spring of living water. That's what I will choose. Do you guys know a thing called YOLO? Yeah? What does that mean? You only live once, right? And young people say that all the time. And they kind of like justify their foolish behavior. I only live once. So I got to do all the stupid things. That's totally it. Uh, I think that's a checked out. Uh, you know, I think YOLO is all about you only live once. You know, and people believe in like, oh, after you die, you become something else. You're born as like, if you live the good life, you will be born as a prince or princess. If you live the bad life, next life, you will be a pig or something. I don't know. People have all these different beliefs about eternal life and you live and live and live in different cycles. Totally not biblical at all. The Bible is true. I mean, your law is true. You only live once. Okay? It is biblical. However, you only live once and according to how you lived, there is eternity waiting for you. However, it's not about how well you did or how bad you did. It's about if you connected to the source of life or not. That's what it's all about. For example, let's say our life is like um, like a faucet, like a water tap, right? Water tap by itself is pointless if it's not connected to the source of water. You guys agree? Faucet, no matter how shiny, no matter how high-tech it is, oh, it's beautiful. You turn it on, water doesn't come out. Totally pointless and useless faucet. That's like how our life, how our life is. We're kind of like the faucet, but then we need to connect to the source of water so that life will flow out of us. So would you rather connect to this well that you have to like draw water and then drizzle eh, comes out, whatever, or would you rather connect to a stream of living water that's shooting up and then you when you open it it's like like okay i want to take shower with that tap okay not the dead one so if your life is kind of like a faucet if if i am the faucet i am pointless if i'm not connected to the source of life i am living Uh, everybody here's alive you know physically yeah i'm alive but you're not connected to the source of your life so everyone walks around on campus is alive, but is everyone connected to the source of life? No, some of them are drawing from the dead well. Some of them are struggling to get any water. There's no source of life and they're walking around like zombies. You know, life isn't all about making it to SNU. You guys, I don't know if you guys know how smart these guys are, okay? The, the students on SNU campus are the smartest kids in Korea. The smartest, okay? And do you, do you, do you think they're happy? Do they look happy? I was sitting in a cafe for a few hours earlier and none of them looked happy. Okay? But they made it to their dream school, SNU, Seoul National University, right? And 
What else do they need? But then none of them looked happy. And then next thing, you are probably going to go for next thing. Okay, I made it to SNU. But then, oh, now job. Oh, no, grades. Oh, no, a future. And then after you make it to your first job, let's say you landed on something. And then are they happy then? No, they're going to go for the next. Oh, I'm not married. Where's my husband, future wife and whatever. No, I'm miserable again. And then they get married. And then after that, oh, more trouble comes. More comes. What's next? What's next? What's next? And then you're 80, about to die. Okay. Is that how our life is designed to be? Do you guys really think so? And then do you think at the end of your life, you're going to pat yourself and say, good job. I lived a full life, abundant life. I don't think so. I really don't think so. We are designed to live forever and we only live once. But this life isn't about doing all these things, next thing, next thing, next thing, and catching up and catching up, comparing myself with other people, be, feeling insecure. Next day, I'm happy because I got a job. And then the following day, you feel all depressed because your mom's got sick. Life isn't supposed to be like that. This life is about you only live once so that you can connect to the real source of life. Jesus Christ, he's the only source of life. He's the only one that's going to satisfy you. Everything else will be temporary. Everything else, next day you wake up, you're going to wake up wanting more. People have tried different things. You guys probably know other people that are trying new things. And there are new things. But however, bring me one person who fell into temporary pleasure and at the end of their lives, that was the best decision I've ever made. Drugs was the best decision I've ever made. I'm dying with overdose. Goodbye. Bring me one person that thinks that way. Bring me one person who spent all their 20s clubbing and partying and say, that was the best decision of my life. My 20s well spent. And I am so happy. Bring me one person like that. You go to temporary sources of pleasure and satisfaction. It's all gonna fail you. Everybody else try. You can... Give it a try yourself. However, you will come up with the same conclusion. None of these things satisfy. Good grades don't satisfy. Good jobs don't satisfy. Money doesn't satisfy. Keep bring me one person who got lotto lottery, okay? And then lives a happy life. Bring me one guy. One guy. Statistically, there's like nobody who's happy after getting lottery, like winning the lottery. Why? Everybody lives for money. Why are they not happy? Are they crazy? Get it yourself and then tell me, okay? But there's not, not a person who is satisfied with life with temporary satisfactions. You are left wanting more things. Materialism. I don't know if you guys are into shopping. Oh, tell me if, if this day ever comes where you feel like, oh, I bought every item that I want on earth and no more. No, you're going to keep wanting more. Keep wanting more. And there's going to be no bottom. I mentioned a lot of things, but these things will only lead you to more misery, okay? Even good things at times, if you are going for those things for as a source of your life and happiness and joy and all that, oh, it's going to wear you out. Work, food. A lot of people go for food, okay? Foodies here? Anybody? Yeah? Repent. <laughs> no, food is good thing. I love food too. But whenever you are depressed and miserable and whatever feeling this way and then you go to food all the time, oh, it's not gonna, it's not gonna end well, guys. Uh, everything like relationships, TV shows, excessive exercise, hobbies, these are all good things. However, if you are going there to find your identity, to find your purpose, to find your satisfaction, it's only gonna wear you out. Only Jesus Christ can satisfy your soul for eternity. It's a well, it's not a well, it's a spring of living water that's gonna shoot up for eternity. 
and it's never gonna go dry. Okay. Okay. Enough of water talk. Uh, he said he okay. He's promising Samaritan woman. Going back to the story, right? He's saying, "I'm gonna give you a stream of living water," and then we want to know how, right? Do you guys want to know how? Let's see how the conversation goes. I'm gonna read it verbatim, okay? Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Verse 16. Jesus said to her, "Go, call your husband and come here." Okay. Emily, bring your husband here. Okay, she's being truthful, okay? <laughs> uh, if you ask me, I'll say the same thing, and I'm being truthful, okay? But here, this woman, she, she says the same thing. Oh, uh, I don't have a husband. She goes, oh, uh, I don't have one. Probably out of embarrassment, because Jesus already knows, okay? That's so bizarre that Jesus knew she didn't have one, but asked for one. Isn't that a little bit of a jerk move? You know, you know I don't have a boyfriend and you're saying, hey, can we meet up with your boyfriend? I don't have one. You know, like, that's kind of like a mean move, right? And Jesus goes, hey, you're not lying. That's nicely put though. You have had five husbands before, but you don't have them now. And the one that you're with right now is not your husband technically. So thank you for telling me the truth. Like sounds like a, like a really, really mean guy, like being... Like being a jerk of the jerks, right? Sounds so bad. But let's see why Jesus had to go there. Why did he take the conversation there? Knowing that she doesn't have one. You know, knowing about all her past. This embarrassed, she's embarrassed right now, right? Okay. I'm not saying Jesus is a jerk, by the way. Um, get this. Jesus brought up the darkest part of her life. The stuff that she's most ashamed of and stuff that she does not want to talk about. She wants to hide from this and probably that's why she's at the well at noon by herself because of all the talk about her husband and her love life. And Jesus is saying, she's not, he's not just saying, oh, sorry, I didn't know you didn't have one. No, he's detailing out, telling her, this is your life. He's bringing up the most shameful part of her story to herself. And a lot of scholars, you know, they, they think that this woman, Samaritan woman was actually a, a sexually immoral woman or a prostitute. People say that, oh, she probably was with so many men and whatever. Other scholars say that they interpret that she probably was married to a man and then he probably died. And then the custom back then was if a husband dies, a younger brother of the man remarries the woman so that they can, uh, uh, the the life the family line right so that they can have children right so that was to protect the widow okay but then so some scholars say she lost her husband younger brother remarried died he died and then another brother he died another brother he died another brother so he went she went through a cycle of losing husbands over and over again Okay, so it's actually more believable because even in uh, other accounts in the New Testament, these like Pharisees come and ask Sadducees, ask Jesus about like, hey, what happens if woman with five husbands like that dies in resurrected body? Who's her husband and all that stuff? Sorry, I'm, I sound like a demon, right? <laughs> you know, so and actually there are cases like that. And we don't know why, but like this woman marries him and then he just dies, you know, but then it's a custom. They follow it. So anyways, either or. Whatever the case is, could you imagine her life? 
Losing a husband once is hard enough. Second one, third one, fourth one, fifth one. And then she's with somebody who's not even considered her husband. Could you imagine all that, the curses that she feels like she's living under? I'm a cursed woman. Whoever marries me dies. Could you imagine all the false identities? I am a, am I a witch or something? You know, all the blames, all the gossip, what the guy's family must be talking to her about, you know, her reputation. Could you imagine her insecurities, her shame, and the wonder she wants to hide away from everybody? You know, she is, she has had a tough life. And why did Jesus, why did you call her out? Why did you have to take the conversation there? And Jesus did it on purpose. Do you know why people try to keep shameful things to themselves and try to hide from it? It's because people feel like when people find out who you really are and know about the ugliest past of your yours, they feel like they're not going to treat them the same way. Same way. They feel like, oh, they're going to judge me. They're going to reject me. They're going to leave me. And they are going to treat me differently. And that fear of rejection and the fear of losing that love, that's what causes people to put up a front. Acting like everything is going great. Acting like there's a certain way. You know, acting, trying to fit in. Weaknesses, you must hide it. Ugliness, hide it. Shameful past, hide it. And don't show anybody because they're going to treat you differently. That's how people think. That's how we think as well. And then we feel like, we feel the pressure to only show the good part, positive part, polished part. Me, um, presentable in front of everybody. And that's what shame does. And you know what that kind of lifestyle leads to? It takes away all your freedom. You're going to be paranoid. You're going to be controlling. You are going to be afraid. It hinders you from being yourself and being free in front of other people. And I am, I guarantee everybody in this room probably felt that before. The peer pressure of being somebody else that you're not. And the pressure to fit in and pressure to be somebody, you know. And many of us, we feel like all the bad stuff, we need to hide it. Can't be honest. Can't be vulnerable. Can't share this with anybody. And that leads to superficial, fake, and shallow relationships with everybody around you. The only way to overcome this fear of rejection or shame, this is the only way. Let me share this with you. It's through an experience of being accepted and loved the way you are. The answer isn't deleting your past. The answer isn't running away from it. The answer isn't hiding it forever from everybody. The answer is exposing it and having an experience of somebody loving you just the way you are. Somebody says amen. Oh, come on. When someone knows the ugliest part and the stupidest mistake you've made before and still chooses to love you the same way, that changes your life. That changes your life. Jesus wanted to set this woman free. And that is actually why he did this. He wanted to set her free from all this shame by loving her through her biggest shame. That's why he brought it up. Not to shame her, not to look down on her, but to love her through that shame. You can tell by, he's saying, I know you're a Samaritan and I know you've had five husbands. I know you're with a man who's not even your husband right now. I know you're immoral. I know, but I still want to talk to you eye to eye. I still want to get water from you. I still decided to talk to you. I still want to give you the spring of living water for eternity. And I came here simply to see you. 
You guys get that? And for this woman who was hiding away from people because of judgment, because of all the gossip, for her, this was a miracle. And this is the moment that transformed her heart. This was a miracle. This Jewish man is not judging me, but he knows everything about my life. This was such a huge secret that at the end of the story, she says, this Jewish man knows everything about my life. Did he say everything? No, this was the most shameful thing. The secret sin of her life. And Jesus told it to her, opened up to her, and she feels like he knows everything about me and still accepts me and loves me. This is a miracle to her. This woman, Samaritan woman, reminds me of my own story. I used to be like a Samaritan woman, guys. I totally relate to her because I lived a life of fearing people and avoiding people for years. I come from a background where I was bullied really badly, wangdad, uh, in Korean uh, girls-only middle school, which means really intense, down in Busan. Everybody there, there's gangster, okay? So this is real stuff. Stuff that you see on TV, like real gangster-style bullying. I was a victim of that. All 800 girls in my school bullied me for about a year, okay? So I come from that. So I was, of course, paranoid. I was, of course, afraid of rejection. Of course, people cursing me, hitting me. I had a trauma with it. So I, of course, wanted to put a wall up and only show good side. And I did not want to act foolishly, you know, because, oh, they're going to reject me. They act like my friend right now, but they are going to turn away. And the moment I, they have something to, like, grab on me, they're going to start attacking me. You know, all that was my story. So I did, I did do what Samaritan woman did. I went to school five in the morning, five a.m. I didn't want to run into anybody. I was sitting at my desk, didn't even go to bathroom all throughout the day. I didn't drink water, period, because I didn't want to run into people at bathroom. And I would come home at eight p.m. School ends at three thirty. Okay, I didn't want to run into anybody. And I would come home quietly. I would go to school quietly. I did that for about a semester. This was my life. I was afraid, but I desperately wanted to be loved by people. I wanted it. I needed it, but I acted like I didn't need it. Acting cool, acting strong. I don't need friends. Who needs friends? Only weak kids need friends. Friends are all fake. I would say it, but I will desperately want people that I could be open to and talk about things with. I was so lonely, guys. For years, I was so lonely. And I came to church, guys, heard about Jesus, this Jewish man that loves me. And when I was first introduced to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, this is exactly what he did with me. He took me to the most shameful and painful memory of my life, which was when I was 14, surrounded by these haters, and they were just bullying me, yelling at me, cursing at me, hitting me. He took me to that very memory. And I thought, what is this? Is this a demon? (laughs) But it wasn't. It was the Lord. He took me there saying, I love you through all of that. I love you through your most shameful memories. I love you through your greatest pains. I love you through all of that. None of that matters. I know who you are. I know the mistakes that you have made. I know these paths. And I know everything about you. But I still love you. Straight through that. He looked at, I saw Jesus in my vision, in my imagination. Or I don't know, what God gave me. He was sitting in front of, I was like this at my desk. And Jesus was sitting, facing me. 
like this, okay? And he was looking straight into my eyes and said, it's going to be okay. I love you. I love you through all this. I was there. That's the type of memory, that's the type of encounters that's going to set you free. You got to know, he knows you. You can't run away from him. Okay, he knows everything about you. And all through that, he still loves you. Choosing to talk to you. He's choosing to come to encounter you. Man. And after that, everything was different. God brought so much healing to my heart. Not just through a vision. Not just through the Holy Spirit, but through the community. Through my friends. Through people that I was so afraid to open up to. Especially at church. Because at church, you have to be good, you know? You have to be like, yes, Lord, worship you. And, you know, people are supposed to be so free at church. But then people are so afraid to show the bad side. But don't feel that way, guys. Everybody here, let me open up a secret. Everybody here is screwed up, okay? <laughs> including your CD. Including myself. Everybody. Stephen especially. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Everybody here got issues. And you don't have to ever worry about, am I the only one, you know, and I have to hide? No, please be free, okay? Uh, Through the community, whenever I would mess up, God would just reveal uh, his love for me. And he would be so gracious through the community. And that's how I am standing in front of you, so free, you know? I'm so free, guys. I'm not afraid of people anymore. I'm, I'm not afraid, and I know I'm so loved, no matter what, right? Anyways, this is the deal, guys. He deals with the past. He doesn't delete the past. Don't try to delete your past. He's want, he wants to deal with it. He redeems the past. He doesn't deny the past. Don't deny your pains of the past. He wants to redeem the past. Bring good things out of your past. I'm going to... I'm out of time, right? <laughs> How much time do I have? Keep going? Okay, good. Sorry. You get Jesus, you guys probably heard about this. Jesus washed the feet of the disciples right before he went to the cross. And at dinner table, random, right? Jesus like, bursts out a towel and then he's like, bring me the basin and water. I'm going to wash your feet, y'all. If I did that right now, I don't know if you are ready. Or not, okay? Okay, if you walked in those uh, undonga all day, I don't know if you're ready, okay? And Jesus is like, out of nowhere, people are not ready. They walked around in their dirty sandals all day. And then Jesus is like, all right, I'm going to wash all your dirty feet. Why did he have to choose the lowest and the dirtiest body part? You know, it could be, I'll wash your hands, guys. Or, <laughs> or something else. But he's like, give me your feet. Body part that everybody despises and people feel so much shame about, Okay. And he tells Peter, and, and Peter is like the, the, he's like the one that's like all vocal and whatever. And so Peter, one of the disciples goes, no, you can't do that to me. You know, don't wash my feet, Jesus. That's what slaves do. And he's all like, fire you about it. And Jesus goes, you have no share with me if you don't let me wash you. If you don't let me touch most shameful part, body part of yours, I'm not, you, you have nothing to do with me is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, hey, give me your feet. Give me your feet. And if Jesus does that to you right now, how are you going to respond? Oh, my socks have a hole today. You can't. <laughs> you know how insecure you feel when you have a hole in your socks? All day, man. Nobody can see, but you're like mad insecure because you can feel it. Anyway, is that just me? Anyways. Oh, when it's a for girls, no. When it's like leggings, it's worse. Okay, anyways. Okay. TMI. Um, 
But anyway, so are you gonna be like, oh my, oh my socks are not ready. Uh, uh, I wore my dirty socks one more time today. I don't know. Uh, oh, I got athlete's feet or, you know, my feet smell, whatever. You know, it doesn't matter. Jesus is saying, hey, give me your feet. I know they're dirty. And I chose them knowing they're dirty. I'm choosing to wash you. Let me wash you. Jesus said to her, bring your husband here. Knowing she doesn't have one. What Jesus is saying is this, bring your shame to me. Bring your worst part to me. Bring your past to me. Bring whatever you are trying to hide from me, bring that to me. And that's how she got the living water. Let me give you proof. She got it. Do you know how, how I know? Oh, she actually, she, at least she received it. The Bible says here, we skip to verse 28, right? She, the woman, left her water jar and went away into the town. She left it all. The robe, I don't care. The jaw, oh, I don't care anymore. She ran into the town, meaning she knew, I don't need this water anymore. She like took it so literally, she threw away all her water bottles, okay? It's just like, I got the living water inside of me. It's welding up right now, so I got to go tell people. And she ran away and throwing away all these things. She literally got it. Oh, she got that living water inside of her. All right, goodbye, water jugs. I'm going. And... Believe, can you believe it? She went away into town and said to the people, Hey, this guy, she's talking to the people in the town. What? She went to the well at noon by herself, hiding away from everybody. And this woman is like, Hey guys, come over here. This guy knows all about my life. And I want you guys to meet him. Is this the same woman? This woman is changed forever. Shame? What's that? Shame? It was broken off of her and she was no longer afraid. And she was telling strangers about Jesus. And a few lines later, read it at home. A lot of Samaritans believed in Jesus that day. They actually came out to see him. They had like a one day retreat. So Jesus spent like a couple days with him, with them. And then many of them believed in Jesus Christ is what the Bible says. Oh, Jesus had a mission. And he completed his mission, went back to Galilee. Today, God's saying the same thing to you. Hey, bring your husband to me. Give me your feet. Okay? And that's exactly how I want to pray for you guys. If you guys came this evening thinking, oh, another large group. You're wrong. Sorry, okay? About to... Uh, Wash your feet spiritually, okay? I'm not going to wash... <laughs> I'm going to wash your feet spiritually. So I'm gonna, we're going to have some time to pray. I don't know how much time I have, but I, we can't let this moment pass by. And I just want to invite you guys up to um, receive prayer from one of the crew members or student leaders, whoever is available, who usually prays. Okay, awesome. And I'll pray for people as well. I'm going to invite you guys up. If you guys know... If you guys know, <laughs> they're not bringing 100% to the Lord. Your hurts, your pains, your shames. Bring it to Him today. And let Him wash you today. Sacred sins, let Him wash you today. You know, what you think is a secret, when you actually open it up, it's like everybody's problem. The Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. You think you're the only one I always thought I was the only one. But when I opened up, oh, you guys go through the same thing. 
know, and I felt included, okay? So if you are dying and it's eating you inside and you know this, you know, I'm not dealing with this. I'm running away from this. I am in denial. I'm trying to delete my past and I'm trying to hide away and try to put up a front that I'm a joyful and I'm bright Christian girl or boy. Please let that go today and let Jesus come wash your feet. So I'm going to give you an opportunity. You can trust these guys. These guys are loving. They're trained. Come to the front. Receive prayer. And if you want to, this is optional. If you want to confess something to one of us, whether that's about your shame, your past, your sin, we're here to listen to you. And we will wash away all of that from your shoulders. We'll embrace you. We'll love you through it. We'll do exactly what Jesus did. We'll love you through the shame.